afternoon, everyone, and welcome to It's All White, the very first Fulham podcast by us here at Trinity Mirror. My name is Lee Wilmot. I'm your host for today. I'm joined by Fulham club writer Ryan O'Donovan. Hi, Ryan. Hello, Lee. And I've also got Rob Warlow here, who is our Crystal Palace reporter, who's going to be talking Fulham with us today as well. Hi, Rob. Hi, Lee. We will start today um, with a chat um, about Saturday. Um, Fulham 2, Preston North End 2. An exciting game, Ryan. Um, It was all Preston in the first half and you were really impressed with them, weren't you? Yeah, it's the cliché tale of two halves, that game. Preston were... I I thought Preston were brilliant in that first half. They hounded and pressured Fulham's midfield and allowed no space whatsoever. And Alex Neil really got his tactics spot on for me in that game. He had two deep-line midfielders harassing Fulham's midfield, Stephanie Hansen, Ollie Norwood, all game, causing them to make mistakes that they don't usually make together. So, yeah, that first half I was really, really impressed. But when two goals up through Shawnee Maguire, everyone knows I know Shawnee Maguire because of his Cork City and Ireland connections. <laughs> and I think I tweeted before the game, the last time I saw him play, he scored a hat-trick and then he goes and assists the first goal and scores the second before he got took off injured. So, yeah, that first half was really, really impressive stuff from them. But then second half was a completely different Preston side. Tom Kearney came on returning from injury at half-time. Slavita had to do something, you know. It wasn't, it wasn't quite working in that midfield, so... He bought the extra midfield man on, went four in midfield, kind of went man for man, max, matched what Preston were doing. And Preston really didn't have the answer to the space and they, they dropped off more and more and more. And Fulham were rewarded for a better second half. You know, Rui Font, he wasn't, it wasn't his best game for me. He didn't really have much of the ball. And when he did have the ball, he didn't do too much with it. But he kept charging into the box and he won the penalty. Oli Norwood stepped up and despite not having a very good game that first half, he put the penalty away brilliantly and everyone knows Fulham has a lot of issues with penalties. So to show determination to stick that ball away was brilliant. And then they just kept going right down to the final whistle. And Preston will be disappointed it took a clangor from their keeper for Fulham to score the equaliser when he dropped the long ball into the into the box. But Dennis Doyle was at the right place at the right time and just slot it home. So Slav will be happy. With, he was happy with the point from the second half, but he was not happy with that first half performance. And I don't think fans or players alike should be happy with that performance it wasn't the Fulham we know so going forward from there it was a point gained I think more than anything and they'll have to put it to history and make sure they don't play like that again What what was it that, um, that went so wrong in the first half that Slavisa changed in the second? Uh, I think it wasn't so much what went wrong for Fulham it's what Preston did right and they, they knew what Fulham were going to play like they knew they were going to use a Hansen and Norwood in that more advanced role and they just they just hounded them every time they got the football they didn't let them have any space they hunted in packs they, they just starved Fulham of possession really once they got it they were on them any time they went near the box they got crowded out so I think Alex Neil just got his tactics spot on he knew how Fulham were going to play but once that extra man went into midfield in the second half Neil had to respond a bit more and his response was to, to sit back and I think if they'd carried on playing the way they played they would have scored a few more goals they had the chances I think I'm a bit biased, but if Maguire had been on the pitch, he probably would have put a few away that Preston didn't put away from that left-hand side. So I think there was a bit of a combination of luck that Shawnee Maguire got injured and that Neil decided his team would sit off and let Fulham have more possession. And when you've got Tom Kearney on the pitch, regardless if he's in second gear for most of it, you can't let Fulham do that because they're going to hurt you. Yeah. What's um, what, what's the issue at Craven Cottage this year? It's not They're not quite clicking, are they? They've, they've drawn too many games. Um, it's... Yeah, it's, it's not it's, the Fulham of the end of last season. No, it's, sure. it's not. It's, it's not. It's not been the Fulham of the end of last season for any of the games this season. I don't think. But I don't know what it is at, at, at Craven Cottage. I asked Levitzer in his presser last week, and he's quick to remind me that they've been leading 
and a lot of those games at the cottage this season they've just conceded late goals I mean you look at Norwich you look at Middlesbrough both of those games they conceded a late goal so he's quick to say you know we haven't been playing well but we've we've arrived in the final moments the games in in, in good company so I don't, I don't know what it is maybe it's teams coming to the cottage and thinking Fulham are going to play football against us they're going to have a lot of possession we're going to sit deep and we're going to make sure they don't they don't score goals and I think as well the, the there's there's a problem at fullback at the moment in that Scott Malone, despite not being the best of defenders or the best of players, he added a different dimension to that firm team last year from left back. And at the moment with Ryan Sessing on playing there, no matter how good a player he is as, as a seventeen year old, I don't think his position is as a left back. He doesn't have the same like oomph going forward that Scott Malone had to then link up with someone in front of him. I think Ryan Sessingon is better as a f- further forward as a left winger. And last season we saw him and Malone connect so well mm. and they just ripped teams apart from the left that season. You've got it on the right with Ryan Fredericks, but we don't just we don't quite have that yet. I left back with with Ryan uh, with um Ryan Sessignon playing there. So I think Rafa Suarez might be the, the answer to that problem and I think it's the same as last season. It took him until Christmas to really start getting into fifth and sixth gear if you want. So I think we're still seeing that they're still trying to settle down, teams are coming knowing what Fulham can do so they're sitting off them and I think it's just going to take them a bit of time to to be able to break teams down but once they start getting a settled 11 I mean they've had a few injuries which they yeah. didn't have a, as well last season I mean we've seen Tom Kearney's been out for a few of it Abubakar Kamara's been in and out with injury I think once their injuries are sorted and they've got a a team that's settled I think we'll see a different Fulham like we saw at the end of last season Let's um, bring Rob in uh, in this instance. Um, Rob covers a team that's struggled so far this season as well uh, in Crystal Palace. Um, have you been surprised by Fulham's start to the season from an outsider looking in? Yeah, I mean, given how they performed the second half of last season, I mean, they really came on strong that, that second half and, and obviously got themselves into the playoffs. I think that people would have expected them to, to continue that you know, and, and take that momentum into the, the new season. I mean, obviously... Losing in the playoffs is it's always a it's a big kick in, in, in the teeth for any team that gets there. I think I suppose that the, maybe there is a bit of a hangover from that. I don't know if it is it still lingering now. I mean, it, it's it to me it's still surprising, particularly at home, that they haven't really kicked on. I mean, they've they've won three games away, haven't they? I think it, it almost looks like they're a better away side than they are at home at the moment. I think the pressure's not there when they're playing away from home. You know, fans. Home fans, especially when they go to the likes of the city ground in Nottingham and places like that, they expect their team to play football and to bring it to, to the opposition more. So I think away from home, they're not under as much pressure as they are at Cottage. The home fans expect their team to play, and if they're not playing particularly well against Fulham, they get on their backs, and that's when Fulham are dangerous. They pick their space and stuff. So I think that's got a big part to do with it. And you talk about hangover, I'm not sure there is a hangover there because you know, it's the same team pretty much. They've added a lot of strength into it. I don't really think it's a hangover because they just get on with it, don't they? You know, they, they they have looked good. The Ipswich game they look very good in, and we haven't seen that since. And I think Tom Kearney being injured is a massive part to do with it. Like he's instrumental to the way Fulham play. They're not a one-man team by any stretch of the imagination. They've got good results without him, but when he plays, he just adds that different dimension. You know, he's like he's a metronome in that Fulham midfield. He makes he makes things tick. They're either going left, they're going right, they're going through the middle. And, the other teams worry so much about Tom Kearney when he's on the ball. It gives other players space, so two player men will come shut down Tom Kearney. He's got the ability to see that coming and he'll pick the space off and pick the three man. So 
it's a I think it's a load of different things all adding up at the moment for Fulham but everyone's saying oh they're not playing as well they're not playing that great they're in a better position than they were this time last season and they're still only a couple of points off the playoffs they haven't hit third fourth gear yet so they can only go up from here and once they do start getting that you know they're going to be frightening they've won games not playing well it can they can only get better from here and once they do start to get better teams are going to be even more frightened of them than they seem to be now even though they're not playing well do you think they need they need to perhaps you know when when they're playing teams at home that are coming and setting up to try and frustrate they, they just need to find a better way of you know breaking a team down yeah i think i think they need they need a plan b and i think they have got that we saw Slav's plan B up at Nottingham when he played Kamara as the main man and played Reef on off him, off him. But since then, Kamara's been injured and he's only just returned to training. So when one solution seems to arise, something happens that means Fulham can't progress forward. And like I said, they've had problems with injuries this season. It seems to be a recurring factor. But I think once Kamara's fit, he will use him as a more the out-and-out forward with Font playing off him. And I think that seemed to work against... Forest, the, the defenders didn't really know what to do with Kamara because he's not your conventional striker. He's a bit like Bambi on ice at times. He doesn't look like he knows what he's doing, but it works for him. And he, he scares defenders and he will always want to turn and face defenders and attack them. And I think that's what Fulham need when teams come up to set defensively. If they've got a, a, a big striker who's, who's quick, strong, and wants the ball on feet, attacking them as they've got their back to go, centre-backs are going to be terrified of it and they're not going to know quite what to do. So I think once he's back, Fulham's plan B might become their plan A and they might change things up a bit. But again, Slav's got to contend with injuries to key players at an early part of the season. Let's talk about um, late goals. Uh, Fulham seem to enjoy late goal. It's that six now they've scored um, to get points um, this season. Yeah, they seem to enjoy it, but at the same time, they're cursed by you know I mentioned Norwich and Middlesbrough already they can they concede the late goals but it was good to see them finally score a late goal and to, to get something from a game against Preston it's maybe a lack of com, uh, concentration at the end of the game that they're conceding these goals or they go defensively when that's not their strongest asset that that might be something to do with it but you could see the difference between when they're forced to defend the lead late stage of the game compared to when they're forced yeah. to try and get something from the game, it was completely different. I mean, that last 10 minutes against Preston, I think Preston touched the ball maybe five times in the opposition half. So I, think I assume the crowd got really the behind, crowd behind them. Especially when that, they scored the penalty, there was an air of, hang on a minute, we played better this half. We've got, we've halved the deficit, there might be something here, you know, Preston aren't yeah. really threatening us like they were in the first half. So I think when the, they're, they are better, they're a better attacking side, they're not strong defensively, that I always think defense uh, championships are built on defenses, but Fulham having got the strongest of defenses, it's been better than it was last season. And Tim Ream and Thomas Callas are a lot better than they were come the end of last season. But I don't know. Going forward, maybe if they're defending a lead late on in the game, the best thing, the best form of defense is attack for yeah. them, and they need to change that way up instead of looking to sit back and hold a lead, go out and attack. Because once they've got possession, teams find it very difficult to to get it off them. So. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to to look at why they're conceding the late goals. Only I think the players will be able to tell you that, whether it's psychological or just defensively. But hopefully, they'll sort out their defence and there won't be too many more late goals. But everyone full of love a late goal <laughs> to score. I mean, you look at Leeds last season. Preston reminded me of that somewhat in that 
Fulham for most of the, most of that Leeds game last season they were the better side yeah. Cabana's goal went in and wasn't given and it just looked like they might not score but then Tom Kenny calls one in the top corner in the last minute and sends the crowd crazy it was almost the same feeling that you got from the Preston game I haven't seen the cottage celebrate like that since <laughs> the end of last season so maybe, maybe it's psychological but it's something that needs addressing going forward from here because they can't keep conceding late goals no. um, you mentioned the penalty obviously um, Ollie Norwood we, uh, we can't have a podcast uh, our first podcast without talking about penalties and Fulham um, Firstly, did, did he have to uh, take the ball off anyone for it? Did, did anyone else put their hand up for it? Or are, or are they all too scared to take one at the minute? <laughs> no, so I asked him about that after the game. And he said that Slav nominates the penalty taker before the game. And whoever's the penalty taker takes the penalty. And he just happened to be the penalty taker for that, that game. Is that a different penalty taker each game, potentially? For, potentially. For well, Rui Font took the penalty against QPR. And Norwood said he wanted to. He told me after the game he wanted to take the penalty against QPR. But... Slav said, nope, Font is the penalty taker, so Font stepped up and blazed it over the bar and was subject to the Fulham curse. But Norwood, you know, he hadn't, like I said, he hadn't been playing very well that game. He stood up and took a really, really good penalty. So maybe going forward, it's something that Fulham will look at that if Ollie Norwood's on the pitch, he takes the penalties because he looked confident. He hadn't had the best game. He stepped up and stuck it in the bottom corner and it was a good, really good penalty. So... Yeah, you can't you can't mention Fulham without mentioning penalties, can you? They've had awful luck with it. Is there something some, something to do with psychology there? Do you think, or is it just luck on on the day? And then it kind of I suppose the, the more you miss, the more it plays in your mind, doesn't it? Yeah, I suppose it would do. I mean, psychologically, if you keep missing penalties, I'm not a superstitious person myself, but people footballers definitely are, and yeah. they might think, "Hang on a minute, you know, we're just not meant to score penalties." I think last season there was about four or five different penalty takers that had all missed. And like, I think even Tim Ream stepped up to take one at Newcastle and blazed it wide. So <laughs> is that healthy though, having a rotation of penalty takers? Because surely, if you want one, you know, most clubs would have one penalty taker designated, and whether they miss, you know, they, it, all right, if they miss three or four, then perhaps they get looked at and taken off of them. But it, to me, that seems a slightly strange concept that they, you know, have potentially one different penalty taker for each game. Yeah, it, it is a strange concept. But then you look at last season. You know, Martin did miss a, a good amount of penalties, and Kearney missed penalties, and Luco missed penalties. So, if they're missing penalties and someone else in training is stepping up and putting them away, you know, set pieces. They're they're such a big part of the game, but they're so undervalued. Mm. You know, a penalty. If if Nord had missed a penalty, they don't win the game. Like Aluko's penalty misses against QPR last season, at the end of the season, if he'd scored them, QPR would have got relegated. So despite them being such a big part of the game, managers often overlook them for just being what they are. So for Slab to say, we well, yeah, we need someone that's going to score penalties, and if it means rotating it till, till we find someone, then I agree with it because set pieces are so important. You can score a free kick from a set piece, and it's the difference between winning and losing. It's a chance not from open play that you like you don't you can't account for it it is what it is it's a technical skill so so, so will Oliver Norwood take the next penalty if they get one at Aston Villa at the weekend I think he'll take the next one yeah I mean there's no reason for him not to he scored it he wanted to take the one against QPR and Slav's given him the go ahead for it he's obviously got something about him in penalties he's obviously taken him in training so he's he scored the last one well why not he's obviously got confidence why not let him take another one and the next one and the next one and see how it goes what about Tom Kearney He's obviously the main man, and he's not fit yet, but if he comes back to fitness, he's the captain, would, would he not fancy penalties? I know he, he missed one last season, but I think he scored two, didn't he? he yeah, I'd say he'd fancy it, but 
he's he's not stupid. Why change something that's working? You know, it's Tom Kenny's not the type of player where it all has to be about him. He's he's captain in the sense that he puts the team first. People look up to him. He's not the type of player to say, well, I've come back now. I want the penalties, and he'll take the penalties. If he knows Ollie Norwood's doing a good job, he'll probably let him continue. I would certainly. Yeah. Okay. Um, carrying on with the with the Tom Kearney issue, um, he he has been injured, um, and he probably came off the bench sooner than he expected on Saturday, didn't he? It was, I think, if uh, if Slav would have had his way, he probably wouldn't have used him at all on Saturday, would he? Yeah. Well, there was a lot of injury problems on Saturday. Ryan Fredericks missed a game with a injured foot. He had Floyd Aite coming back from injury. Kamara's injured. Rafa Suarez was coming back from injury and found a place on the bench. So. It almost makes you think if Ryan Fredericks was fit, Tom Kearney might not have even been in the squad at all. It just mm. so happened that he's injured his foot, there was a space on the bench, Tom Kearney's semi-fit, he's still a good player regardless if he's playing in first gear or fifth gear. So he's found his place on the bench and then when they're 2-0 down at half-time, there's no one better to bring on than your talisman. He's going to change the way Fulham were playing. So yeah, it's definitely earlier than Slav would have liked to have brought him on. I don't think... Kearney was expecting to play 45 <laughs> minutes himself but he wants to play football whether he's half fit fully fit and it did change the way Fulham played Fulham is a much better team when Tom Kearney's on the pitch it's, I, I don't know what it is they just seem to rally around him they know he's, he's, he's the talisman the fans as well when Tom Kearney's on the pitch they know something exciting could happen anytime he touches the ball I don't know whether it was the best thing him coming on after 45 minutes I spoke to him afterwards and he was limping he you know, he was sore. He he wasn't know he didn't know how he was going to feel in the, in, a, in a couple of days. So we, we might not even see him in the match day squad for Villa. You know, he might he might not recover in time from it. You could clearly see he wasn't fit. He was only playing in second gear, and no one really knows what's wrong with his knee. You know, they can't really pinpoint it. And that's a concern, isn't it? It's a concern. Yeah. I mean, we asked him if it was a concern long term, and Kenny doesn't seem to think it is. He he thinks it's going to go away eventually, but you know, you you have got to be a bit worried when the club doctors, all these doctors, he's been to Barcelona for it, all these people can't actually pinpoint what's wrong and do something to make it better. I mean, he's hoping he wakes up one day and it just disappears, which is which is concerning. So hopefully it does because, you know, you need you need a fully fit Tom Kearney makes Fulham a much better side than what they are. And it's he's a, t- he's a player you want in your team if you're going to get promoted. Was it not a risk though on Saturday? I mean, for 45 minutes, you know, for that one game, and might now be out for a few more weeks. You know, and it, it, surely for from, you know, that 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 sounds like a, a risk that potentially wasn't even worth taking. You could say that, but Fulham were two 0 down at half time, and they bring him on, and they draw two two, and they saw how important a point was last season. A point got them into the playoffs. So at come the end of the season, that point against Preston. Might, it might have been worth it to miss. They've played, like I said, they've played well without Tom Kearney. If it means him coming on for forty-five minutes and taking a bit longer to recover from it, and they do well in the next couple of games, and so be it. But yeah, obviously fans want to see him back. Fans, management, everyone wants to see him back, playing well, fully fit again soon, and hopefully it, it happens soon for him. Talking of that, then look at the next few games and the run they've got. I mean, obviously Villa away is. Not going to be easy, but then Bolton at home, I mean, they'd be expected to win that one, wouldn't they? And given how Bolton have been going, and then Bristol City and Wolves, I mean, it's, it's, it's a tough run, really, the next few, few yeah, weeks. Yeah, it is a tough one. I mean, Villa Park's not an easy place to go to, whether they're playing well or playing bad. You know, it's 
the fans there really get behind their side. So that's not going to be an easy game for them. They're going to they're ex- they should be expected to beat Bolton with no disrespect to Bolton, but Fulham are a better side than them. They should be beating them at the cottage. Bristol City have been playing very well. That's another game that could go either way, especially with how Fulham playing at home. But you know, Bristol City, the way they've been playing, they might come and think, why should we cater our tactics to how Fulham are playing? They should cater it to how we're playing. And if they allow Fulham to do that, then Fulham should beat them. Wolves is a difficult one. Wolves away on a Friday night. I mean, Wolves are ridiculously good this season. They've spent, they've got amazing players like Diego Hotter should not be a championship player no matter what anyone says he's Premier League standard so going down on a Friday night in front of the Sky cameras you know Fulham are, they're, they're big game players but that one is going to be the, the toughest of the toughest really I think that will probably be the hardest away game they face this season if Tom, if Tom Kenn is fit and they go and get a result at Villa go and beat Bolton as everyone expects could be a mouth-watering tie couldn't it Wolves against Fulham oh, yeah, I think it's going to be mouth-watering anyway everyone knows Fulham are expected to be up there at the end of the season whether or not they're there now they know come May they probably will be there or thereabouts and Wolves are certainly going to be up there yeah. so regardless of how the next two fixtures go it's a mouth-watering tie anyway I think that's why Sky have picked it mm-hmm. no, yeah. it's, two football, it's two football sides who play football you say the right way but play eye-watering football really and it's going to be a, a good tie in a way, though, given you know what we've spoken about and obviously how they have performed away from home, that these two, you know, yes, they look tough, Aston Villa and Wolves, and that's two away fixtures, but could that actually work in Fulham's favour? I mean, they've they've gone to the places and won this season when they perhaps weren't, you know, Ipswich. I'm thinking when they weren't necessarily in form, and Ipswich were, were doing well at that stage. So you know, it, it might actually work to their advantage. Yeah, it could do. Yeah, I mean, they're confident in themselves. They'll go to Villa Park and go to Molineux and expect and expect themselves to win they'll back themselves there's no point trying to get to the Premier League and not backing yourselves against teams so and the way they're playing away from home you're right yeah they could they, do, they probably will fancy themselves but it is going to be a difficult tie regardless of how good Fulham are but then I mean I know it's last season but they thought they went to Newcastle we thought that was going to be a difficult tie, tie. they played them off the park they went to Huddersfield and absolutely destroyed them and they're both Premier League sides and doing reasonably well in the Premier League now and, and it's the same players there from Fulham they, the only two that left were Scott Malone and Sean Aluko. So there's no reason why if it clicks for them, they can't go there and, and beat them. And ultimately, when you look at the, look at the championship, it's so competitive that there are you know, 15, 16 teams who each fancy themselves to get up, the, you know, be up there this season, aren't they? I mean, look at the names, you know, if you look at the names of the clubs that are there and who've, who've been in the Premier League, there's not, there's not many that haven't. Now, no. So. no, it's a really competitive league and I think there was a infographic that went up on Twitter earlier on today where every club it was like a circle and they'd all beaten one another type thing so <laughs> anyone yeah any, it's the old cliche anyone can beat anyone in that league but it really is a competitive league you'll you know, make a good football manager right <laughs> <laughs> well I'd like to think so but <laughs> I'm doing this job for the time being uh, we'll just finish the podcast by having a quick look at um, the, the stadium development um, Riverside Stand um, you did a big uh, Facebook Live um, earlier in the week with um, Supporters Trust uh, Dan Crawford um, it all looks pretty good doesn't it all looks um, reasonably optimistic for, uh, for Fulham yeah it does look optimistic I mean there's a long way to go before anything happens and the first bricks laid but the plans look. I think the plans look a lot better than the previous plans obviously the last one was to build on top of the existing Riverside Stand that's not going to happen anymore they're going to plan to demolish the existing one and build it from scratch but the plans look very very good you know 
it's the same people that build the Aviva and I think the Aviva is a really really nice looking stadium you would do I would do <laughs> I've had good memories there but I think it looks fantastic it's, it's going to put the capacity up to 30,000 it looks like a stand that belongs in the Premier League and hopefully if it gets built and by the time it gets built Fulham will be a Premier League stand with the resources to go with it from that stand the hospitality and all, this, all the other stuff that comes with it Brilliant. Thanks, Ryan. Uh, thanks, Rob. That's the end of our first It's All White podcast. We'll be back again uh, same time next week. And for all your latest Fulham news, go to getwestlondon.co.uk. Mm-hmm.